you're probably not adding enough personalization. So now I think we all like the custom first line, and so do I. I want people to see that right away. It's in the message preview. Welcome to Data-Driven Selling by the Sales Insights Lab, the podcast that helps reps and business owners generate more meetings and close more sales at higher prices. All right, so I am here with Jack Reamer, who hosts the Cold Email Outreach Podcast, which is one of my absolute favorite podcasts. And I just heard that they just hit their 300th episode. So congratulations, Jack. That's awesome. And Jack is really, the reason I have him here is he's not only an expert on cold email and cold outreach, but he's truly a practitioner of this. And I genuinely am a fan of his stuff. He is the founder of salesbread.com, which is the done for you lead generation service that will bring your B2B company one lead per day using ultra-personalized cold outreach. Jack, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Good to be here. I appreciate the intro. It's not all the time that I get an intro from someone that's pretty familiar with the podcast and sales spread, so I feel like I'm in the right place here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure when this episode's going live, but we may have more than 300, but more than 300 episodes, but hopefully going to come through on today's conversation. Let's see how I do. Yeah. Is the pace weekly, by the way? Do you guys aim for weekly? It's weekly. Drop an episode a week. Cool. So yeah, we'll probably be at, you know, 303 or so. (laughs) So let's just jump right in to lead generation. I'd love to just start with what your sense is of kind of just the state of cold outreach right now. Yeah, it's so it's still a thing. I think it's when we were starting, I was actually talking to Jeremy about this in 2014. If you were doing cold outreach, it was like people would apologize if they didn't write back to you. You know, and fast forward to uh, 2023, and now you got to be a lot more sophisticated with it. So not only are more of your competitors doing it, but the lazy tactics, the rookie tactics just don't work anymore. And I'm talking to you if you're using AI personalization that's clearly written by something that you wouldn't write yourself. It, multi-channel has earned its place as another common best practice. And you can't really, I don't want to say this like this, but you can't really half-ass it now if you want results. Yeah, it's interesting too, because you look at a lot of the tools that are out there and like there's still this assumption that you're basically going to just like pull a leads list out of Apollo and then just like send emails to those people without doing anything to the data. And that just feels like super 2015 where it was like you literally could just kind of like blast 10,000 emails out and get a, still get like a 7% reply rate. It's funny you bring that up because Apollo used to be called something like Zen Leads or something. And in uh, 2017, I had a client that was like, hey, we have this thing, Zen Leads. We pay for 2,000 email credits a month. So we're going to use you guys. And internally, we're going to be just sending out to those 2,000 people a month and we'll see who does better. That was a lot of fun. Like, can you imagine how easy that sounds? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't do that anymore. Right. And and I don't know if your listeners are like, obviously you can't do that anymore, Mark, or they're like, wait, why can't you? I'm not I'm not really sure. We can go there. We we don't have to, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, why don't you just say, I mean, why why can't you? I mean, why Yeah, volume because of the introduction of TensorFlow, I think that was like spring nineteen, cold emailers all of a sudden said, Whoa, if I send a thousand people that haven't opted in my message that doesn't change beyond first name and company name to, you know, a thousand plus prospects each month. They said, wow, now I'm getting 9% opens. I used to get 55% opens and combine that with Outlook and Gmail, just shutting down accounts that aren't playing by the rules exactly. And you've got 
a fundamentally different approach where now volume does not put money in the bank. Now your investor, your leadership board is not telling you send more prospects, send more messages in order to hit goals. Like that math no longer works. And so a lot of people have had to either say, I'm not doing outbound anymore. That's a dead channel or a dead approach. But the ones that are still making it work today have figured out how to get higher engagement from a smaller number of better qualified prospects. Yeah. So let's dive into that. I mean, because I think that that's obviously what everyone's curious about. I mean, obviously, that's what we're here. Yeah. You talk about, you know, CCQ and personalization. That's obviously one piece of it. Would you mind unpacking that a little? Sure. So I've kind of written a list of seven things you want to pay close attention to if you want to do a great job with Outbound this year. And, and look, these are not tactics. These would be strategies that are here to stay. And keep in mind that the channel could even change in 10 years, but these approaches I'll share are kind of like rooted in human psychology, if you will, where they're not exactly fly by night. And hopefully a lot of this won't be brand new, but I'm going to maybe force a few listeners out there to reconsider their setup, their approach, etc. So Mark, I kind of will caveat this before we jump in. 80-20 says, pay attention to the first thing I say, and then you can really like not close the podcast because I think we'll still cover some interesting stuff. But seriously, the first thing on my list and by far the most worthy of your time is build a better list. Yeah. Okay. Like you hit the nail on the head where you just go to Apollo, do an export and you just wait for your Stripe account to increase its revenue or something. <laughs> so that's the opposite of what you want to do. Uh, and we can go into like list building best practice, but time and time again, this is the one thing I want more people to do better at if they want to make more money with outbound. Okay. So let's talk about building a better list. I mean, obviously, you know, one of my cold email mentors used to say, it's not just about who you're sending to, but who you really don't want to receive the message. So like being pretty narrow. So like, what are, what would you say are some of the kind of the key tenets that when you have a client who let's say is sending to like, they're like, look, our ideal client profile is small business owners. So it's like, it's pretty broad. So yeah, how do you push them to kind of narrow it down? If you think small business owners is your ICP, don't send any outbound message, don't contact people on LinkedIn, don't do any poll. It's wildly untargeted. You're gonna waste a lot of time and money. Okay. So how do you do a better job? Okay, let's, let's imagine, Mark, that we're selling something together, right? Let, let's say somebody says, oh, I offer accounting and bookkeeping services to small businesses, right? So they may say, Jack, I, I want to target small businesses. Let's go. And then we hit the brakes. And the first thing that you want to do is pull up a list of your current clients, sorted the best case scenario, sorted in best client to still paying you, but really they're a headache and they don't pay you that much. And what I would start doing is just throw it into a Google sheet. You have column A is company name, column B is website. And now you start enriching that list, enriching that list. What I want to pay attention to, let's throw in industry. Let's study that. Let's throw in company size. Let's study that. Let's throw in decision maker. I want to know what title ended up making this purchase decision. Who did you speak with before they signed up? Let's keep going. Like, are they using any particular CRM that, that tends to work out? Are they? And now you start getting a little bit clearer on this small business owner. And I can kind of take you to the end result somewhere that I, you know, in this example may actually work nicely. Let's say we did this exercise, Mark, and you say, okay, thanks to this deep dive, and this could take a few hours with the leader of your sales team and probably the founder or the product person that's driving the strategy. 
those two people plus or minus your, your outbound agency person should be inspecting this. And where you may want to take it, let's zero in on what I think a good list looks like. You might say, okay, industry is health and wellness, but that's not quite the case. It might actually be fitness studios right. that use MindBody that have between two and five locations. Because if you only have one, you're too small. And if you have more than five, you're probably using block competitor and we can't really sell there. And then we need to make sure they have an operations person because time and time again, it's the, the owner doesn't care. It's the ops person that's going to be making this decision. And so now you may have 800 fitness studio owners that match this criteria or operations people, but that list is a lot more fun to reach out to because they are likely to be suffering. They have something that's keeping themselves up at night because they're not using your solution. And the emails you write are going to be packing a punch because you could say, hey, this other fitness studio that had four locations around Boston started using us and boom, relevant case study. It just it hits them where they're going to feel it compared to, hey, small business owner, I want to do. It's just like talking about what's working today. I, I want more people to be in that targeted list. Man, you're hitting a subject that I'm, I'm really fired up about. But I'll go a little bit further because I do think it's the, the number one most important thing. If you say, because this will happen, Mark, like someone who does this exercise is like, okay, sure, I did this thing and it turns out that 40% of my paying customers match this really defined criteria. But geez, that's only 150 companies out there. Like, what am I going to do? A campaign 150? Right, right, right. So then it's like, great. That's your A-list, top priority. Those people deserve the kitchen sink. I'm like cold email, LinkedIn, maybe a phone step, SMS campaign, go on their website, fill out their contact form, go to their gym and meet them, whatever, right? Those are your people. But go ahead and make another segment. It's a little bit zoomed out or maybe piggybacks on another use case that has data to support it. So you're like, oh, well, 25% of our paying customers look like this. All right, we'll build the the fit multi-studio fitness owners and then we'll also do... I don't know, like brick and mortar, blah, blah, blah. And so just add defined segments that match people that pay you money. That's really like list building theory 101. Was that helpful? What, what did I leave out, Mark? What are, what are your listeners saying? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, because I think it's like the side of outreach that is like the medicine we, we all need to take, but most don't want to, right? And it's- It ain't fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, it's right on because it's like, and also that allows you to like you're saying, it allows you to personalize the purely through segmentation rather than just kind of like having a personalized first sentence that's like, oh, you know, saw you went to Yale, go Bulldogs, yeah, which is fine. But it's like it's going much further because it's like it allows the message that could basically be a similar message to all people on that list. But that really kind of just like hits them in a way that's powerful. So I think it's huge. That's why list trumps copywriting, trumps personalization, trumps whatever channel you're using like that. I kind of think about it like this, like if we zoomed out, there's maybe like at a really fundamental level, Mark, right now with Outbound, there's like three roles that are putting the campaign together. You have the personalization person. Mm -hmm. And I say person because I don't think AI is there at all no. right now. Okay. And their job is to make sure that that prospect reads the message, in my opinion, right? It, it shows them this is not like some shotgun campaign to everyone. It helps with deliverability, but really personalization is there so that your message gets read, okay? Next, you have the copywriter, and their job is to get that prospect to take action to something 
even if there was no personalization. That's the level that the copywriter needs to be operating on. But Mark, the, the job of the list builder is to make sure that campaign makes money, like full stop. And this is all to say, pay a lot of attention to list building. But I feel like at this point, I'm kind of comfortable with moving on to a couple others. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to. I mean, I just I just want to point out to people, like, I, I think you're, I love that three-legged stool here where you've got the kind of the personalization person, you've got the copywriter, and then you've got the list builder. And you, you picture this very much like a, a, a three-circle Venn diagram where, like, Obviously, I mean, they, quite frankly, probably the person you could most do without is the personalization person. And if you had to, like, if, you know, you put a gun to your head, not that you want to, but because you've got to have the list, the list person, and you've got to obviously have good copy. Would you agree with that? You're right. Although I would say, listener, be very careful. Like, I don't ever want you to say, oh, my list is so good and my copy is so good. I don't need to actually invest in personalization. Like, why would you do that? If you're, oh, it's because I'm selling something really cheap. Then don't do outbound, do other marketing, right? If just think about your LTV and ask yourself, do you really want to not give yourself the very best chance to sign this deal? And if that's the case, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That's powerful. But you're right. List first, then copy the personalization. So, so what else? What else do you have on your list? Yeah, so I want more people. And again, there's seven. So maybe I'll, I'll jog a little bit now. But there's some like two copywriting approaches that I wish more B2B outbound practitioners would follow. And this number one, I see this with like, like rookies, if you will, or, or maybe founders that are really excited about what they've built, but haven't quite cracked the, the sales effort, like turning a stranger into a customer. We're writing too selfishly. Yeah. Okay. So flipping on its head, write as if you are checking your email, your LinkedIn, and you are that buyer that's reading your message. Is it really written in their shoes? And I'll give you like a stupid example, but it's like, Hi, my name is John, and I am the founder at Blah, where we are committed to. And it's it's like, just take all of that out yeah, and start with what's going on in their world. Spoiler alert, you probably want to start with a pain point that they're experiencing to begin the, the outreach. Please do that if you're not sure how to start. Right. Love it. That's super powerful. That, that's true of all aspects of sales too, but I love it. Yeah. But, but it's different than, okay, think about a, a common cold call. Hey, Mark, what if I told you that in six weeks I could, they're going to lead with like this dream scenario. I don't really love that with outbound. I find it's better to just like, hey, did you just break your elbow? Does it hurt right there when I touch it? Like, let's kind of talk through this. Yeah. I like that better. So maybe even forget your solution and more focus on your prospect's pain point. That's what I mean when I say don't write selfishly. Okay. Let's carry on a couple more. Your call to action probably needs some work. So I want to see a very direct, clear CTA. So that means, please, you're never going to write again after you listen to this episode. You're never going to write, let me know what's best. Yeah. You know, signature, right? Like... <laughs> and that's just, it's indirect. So you want to end it with a question mark. Can I blah? Do you blah? If it's ending with a question mark, chances are it's pretty clear. And then another note, make sure you're not asking for too much in that first touch. Right. I want some people to Google, like the, go to Google Scholar. I think you just type in scholar.google.com and type in foot in the door or foot in the door principle. And you'll get a lot of research that explores this topic, how a small commitment leads to a big commitment 
if you, let's say, appreciate the process. First, you need a small ask and then a bigger one. It's going to inspire you to ask things like, is this relevant? Is this worth looking into? As opposed to book a 20-minute demo where I'm going to pitch you something. Totally. Yeah. What, what else do you... All right, Mark. So I got four more, but stop me if you feel like something isn't concrete where the listener can't actually... Sure press pause and do it. Okay. Yeah. Next would be, you're probably not adding enough personalization. So now I think we all like the custom first line. And so do I, I want people to see that right away. It's in the message preview. It's, it's there even if, even before you open it. Okay. So I'm a fan. The PS also works nicely, but if you're not doing that, you'll probably be able to double your reply rate just by making that one change. And there's a, HubSpot and Salesloft did some cool research on what the like 40% of personalization does to like a cold email's response rate. It's like a 2x lift. Yeah, that makes sense. The only caveat is if your deliverability is in the gutter, you're not going to actually see that advantage. People will be not even seeing that first line because you'll be in their spam folder. But let's assume you've got a 45% open rate and you're just like hovering at, I don't know, 6% reply. Out of the first line, you should get 12% reply or, you know, ditto 10 to 20. Why would we not do that? It's pretty fun. Huge, huge. Which brings me to my next point here. You pay a lot of attention to deliverability. You want strong open rates. And if you just really can't figure it out, because deliverability is such a complex topic. Like I... Yeah. <laughs> we had a couple deliverability guests on our podcast, uh, namely the former CTO of SendGrid and somebody else that worked for, let's just say, a very big, like a Marketo, and was their head of deliverability. And we grilled him for like an hour. And I think I got more confused than... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so There's so many technical facets to it too, yeah. But, but let me simplify things. If you can't crack it, go multi-channel, you know, go, go somewhere else that doesn't follow those deliverability challenges. I'm, I'm looking at LinkedIn. I'm thinking about, you know, good old fashioned cold call. I don't like cold calling, but if you really can't crack cold email deliverability, that will also help. We're starting to say goodbye to email auto warmers as well. So if you were leaning on that for results, you're going to have to find another tactic because auto warmers are just a tactic that can come and go. By the way, like I'm looking at you if you've got less than a 25% open rate. I mean, I want to even be north of 30% as like a not that great scenario. If you're under that red alert, um, definitely go multi-channel. That's super bad. Yeah. Yeah. What do you tell people they, they should be north of what? 45? What? Yeah. I mean, I think with, again, I mean, obviously auto warmers, We'll see what happens. I mean, Jeremy tends to be a more alarmist on this stuff and we'll see if actually if auto warmers truly go away. But of course, open rates, it's like, I think beginners spend too much time worrying about open rates, of course. But like, yeah, I think it should be over the course of a campaign should be well over 50% in my opinion. But again, I don't think it's like just because you have great open rate doesn't like that does. That's not the success, you know, doesn't mean you're making money. So, yeah. All right, Mike, let me let me jump through two more. Okay, cool. I love it. And then let's let's sort of do more of like a, a dialogue here. I appreciate the the allowing me to rant. All right, so I'm going to say tactic 6 or or approach 6, let's say. If you're using LinkedIn as a channel, please don't target everyone that's on your list. Even in step one, when we said really pay attention to the accounts and people that you put on the list, LinkedIn doesn't really go that way. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Imagine you've got a hundred, in our example, fitness studio operations VPs. Mm. 
If we looked up each of those hundred, 40 of them are going to be, or let's say an operations person, maybe 30 of them won't care at all about LinkedIn. Right. They're just like ghosts. Yeah. We'll look at their profile. They'll have 107 connections and they haven't posted anything in years. And But yet I know that you're listening and you're probably not remembering to vet if LinkedIn is a viable channel for a particular prospect. And if you're not, you're wasting the the invite. You don't have infinity, right? Like LinkedIn says they're limiting to 100 a week. They're not. But that's kind of a, a range you should pay attention to. And it is to say, if you're using LinkedIn, throw away those that are having small networks, empty profiles, or even even like at SalesPread, we look to see who's been posting regularly before we figure, ah, we should definitely try this person on LinkedIn. Totally. And if you only do that for at least your LinkedIn out- outreach, you're going to double your connection request acceptance rate, and it'll just be a lot more fun. You'll have way more responses. So please do that. Totally. Yeah. Make sure they're actually using the platform. What a concept, right? L- like I said, like, I don't think a lot of this is like brand new, but come on, like it doesn't. No, I think it's, it's right on though. Okay. And, and so let's, let's wrap up here. The last recommendation, I think this is strategic. Like it's not going away anytime soon. Write shorter messages. And when I do consults, you know, people will pay me for an hour to like tear down their campaign or something. We'll spend some time in the list and then we'll look at their messaging. This is almost always the case where there's too much stuff being said in message one. And then message two might be like a very weak bump email. So here's what you do instead. Just mention one value proper touch and change up the call to action each time. And then I'll give you a final one. Add a new point for social proof or credibility boosting in each message, but then don't talk about anything else. So there's kind of like three three things in each touch point, which will force you to not write bullet lists or to not write a supporting paragraph that also mentions this other benefit. Just keep it really simple. The only thing I didn't mention, Mark, was you do also want to hit like a pain point, at least in the first couple touches, but make sure they're all different. And if you do that right, you should be able to, I won't say easily because editing is a lot harder than writing, but you should be able to write a sub five sentence email every time. So sub five is what you're aiming for. It's- I like, I mean, I think a sweet spot for all of us to test, right? You don't have to take my word, but try out a two sentence follow-up that mentions something totally different and asks something totally different as well. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I'm always, one thing that we always talk about is like, watch out for just the straight bump, you know? So like, so just the shortness is... Why? What's wrong with a straight bump? Well, I think, I mean, obviously to me, and and I would love to hear obviously, but like... I'm not putting yourself on the spot. I agree. I'm, I'm just curious. Like, No, no. Mm-hmm. I just hate emails that don't bring value. So just an email that's just a reply to the last email that's like, hey, just making sure you saw this. Like that, that to me is like a value-free, like, I think you can accomplish the same thing, by the way, with just a little more. But like, to me, it's like just the pure bump versus like, hey, not sure if you saw my last email, but right now we're seeing a bunch of folks who are, you know, who's, you know, whose sales have been, you know, X, Y, Z. Does this make sense to talk about? That to me feels like a bump that's like bring just like a, a different perspective, different value versus just like the pure, like, hey, did you see my last email? Which like, I don't know, that, that's that's my... It's a waste. You're right. And it, like, if you're not adding, I, I think about like adding something new to the conversation. You don't get an infinite number of touches, email, link. I mean, eventually 
you're either going to wear out your sender reputation or the person is going to get tired of your 12th bump message and, and mark you as spam or whatever. Like it's limited. So if we were treating this as like each touch was a new phone call or, or like a pitch with different slides, you're not going to say the same thing and for the entire demo. So please don't waste that opportunity. These are like valuable and like a nice hack to get you out of this like bump mentality is imagine you had to pay a hundred dollars each time you press send. Right. You would ha have no choice but to make sure that message was sending something important and different that wasn't said before. Right. So couldn't agree more. Cool, Mark. Um, so those are my uh, seven things to pay attention to. You want to do like great cold outreach now and hopefully for a few years to come. What else is on the plate here? I know we got a couple more minutes. Yeah, I mean, this is this is awesome. First of all, do you want to just kind of tell people where they can go to find you and just a little on, on what you guys are doing? Yeah, thanks, Mark. So the first place I'd go is head over to Sales Spread and you're going to get a pop-up that's going to tell you get on the list. A lot of people that just check out the podcast even or, or maybe not, not read too much content they really appreciate the list because I'm kind of giving away the kitchen sink. Mark, uh, can I pick on you? You're on the list. Um, do you give it a thumbs up too? Dude, it's insane. That list is like, you know, because obviously we've all been taught as as internet marketers or whatever, don't give away. And like you really give, you're like, here's a template. So, I mean, I actually, when I joined your list recently, I this is a true story, by the way, because I kept getting all these emails while I was on vacation and I was like, okay. I, so I like put them in a folder and I went back through them and I was like, I actually updated a bunch of the emails that we use Amazing. purely like the one that was like the ABC, like there, there's just, again, for those of you who haven't gotten on this list, you, you should, because like, once you understand the, the simplicity with which it was to reply to that email, I'm like, Oh, I had an email that was kind of similar, but it was like the way you were just like, just reply with the letter. A, and I was like, Oh, that's so easy to reply to. <laughs> I was like, that's genius. And that's just like a free thing. So yeah, the, this is like truly kitchen sink stuff. So <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's the best place to, to go. And then for if you wanted to like, hurry up and learn this stuff pretty quickly, I would definitely recommend the podcast. It's free and you can go to podcast.quickmail.io and do a search for whatever you're struggling with subject lines, call to actions, what have you, and you'll get a like a lot of good insights there. And then if you're super pumped up about not wasting any time on the learning curve, you can either go to our course, course.quickmail.io, or just get in touch. What I've been doing lately that people appreciate is um, instead of if you book a time to talk, it isn't a pitch. You'll just get me, at least for now, um, giving you just cold outreach strategy. And you're either going to appreciate the, the 15 minutes of like free stuff or you'll ask me to do it for you. And either way, I would love to, to meet you if that is you. But Thanks, Mark. Yeah, that's my soapbox. But I'm definitely curious if if you wanted to wrap up with like AI personalization or anything else um, before we before we drop. I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a fun topic. I mean, because it's like you look on LinkedIn and you. I'd like to share my thoughts first on on AI, and then I'd be curious to hear yours because you know it's like the concept of AI is. Let's be honest, like it is scary long term to copywriting to marketing to sales. What I've been finding, though, is that like this has been on my radar for a while, much before ChatGPT came out and all that stuff. But like it just seems like a the technology hasn't felt like it's gotten to the point where 
Like, yes, can you write a cold, a solid cold email in ChatGPT? Yeah, <laughs> you can. But like, it seems like it gets you 80% of the way there on certain things, but then like the last 20%, which is really the most important, it seems like it misses. And I also think just one thing that I'm noticing is that like good sales, good copywriting, good, you know, list building strategy continues to require smart, thoughtful, intentional people. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. I'm curious to hear your your sense of that. Where the technology is going to take us in the next couple of years is beyond me. I don't know. At the moment, I agree. It, it ain't there. Even if it's maybe helpful for getting us partially there, like I know some teams doing outbound will use the AI personalization as like a first pass. And then they have the ones that do it well, they have a human like saying, okay, that's pretty good, but I'm going to remove that, whatever, like as like let a human edit. Maybe we're there. I think there's going to be a time mark where the personalization side needs to be one-upped. It'll become like baseline. Everyone is doing it because it's free now. Right. We'll have to find ways around it. Could be video, but then there's the deep fake thing that's going to make that basically square one again. But for now, right person, right message, right timing is going to be the thing that makes sales. Let's leverage what we can, but I think at the moment you're, you're going to need your strategy to make that happen, not a GP3 or really anything at the moment. Yeah, right on. Cool, man. Well, Jack, this has been super fun. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Again, I just want to say to people watching this or listening to it, one thing that I always look for is as someone who's been in the guru space for a lot of years is like, there's a lot of people who have a lot of ideas on things, but like practitioners, people who actually do this stuff and get paid for the results that they have are the people that you should always listen to. And I think Jack absolutely is that person. And so, uh, so thanks for sharing your insights. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and, <laughs> There's kind of two sides of that coin. It's like find people that get paid for those insights, i.e. consultants, but also find people that get fired if they don't actually deliver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would be agencies that stick. Where there's like accountability. That's 100% <laughs> right. Cool, man. Jack, thanks for being here. This was super fun. Yeah, same here, Mark. Uh, it was a pleasure. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Want more tactical advice on selling? Register for our free video training on the five-step formula to closing more deals without price pushback, think it overs, or ghosting. Simply visit closing.training to get instant access. That's closing.training to get instant access.